comment ça va? Je m'appelle Courtney and please excuse my really bad French. Uh, welcome back to History Pop Podcast, where we're going to be talking about history, fictional, fictionalized, or otherwise. We continue our exploration today of the Rose of Versailles, or Versailles Novara. And today we're going to be talking a bit more about the character of Marie Antoinette and her struggles and trials and tribulations as she tries to figure out how to be a successful Dauphine of France. And also we get to talk a little bit about the major fictionalized element of the Rose of Versailles, the introduction of the badass and amazing character of Lady Oscar. Stay tuned. To start with today, I want to give you a bit of history on the series itself, the anime and the manga. Now, it's called both Rose of Versailles in English or Versailles no Bara in Japanese, and it's by Ikeda Ryoko, who is a mangaka who rose to fame in the early 1970s. A mangaka just means the person who is creating or writing and drawing the manga. Rose of Versailles was inspired by an earlier biography of Marie Antoinette, which was written by Stefan Zweig and was published in the late 1920s. And if people are interested, I can talk about the biography and the feature film that uh, was also inspired by it in 1938 in a different podcast. Anyway, Rose of Versailles is a shoujo manga and anime, which translates to girls manga. There are two main genre of manga or anime, and those are shonen and shoujo. Uh, shonen translates to boys, and shoujo translates to girls. The defining features of a shonen tend to be plot-driven narratives and lots of explosions. So an example of this would be Mobile Suit Gundam, also from about the same time period as Rose of Versailles. So lots of explosions, lots of big political drama, uh, and shoujo tends to focus on character-driven narratives, and usually a bit of romance is included. Rosa Versailles plays a bit with those shoujo genre, bringing in historical elements and a bit of gender-bending with the character of Lady Oscar. Now, originally, the main character is going to be Marie Antoinette, and it was largely going to be just following along her life, which was exciting enough as it was, which is one of the reasons why she's such a majorly popular figure for historians and lay people to be reading about and working on. But Ikeda decided to include a few original characters to give us different points of view from Antoinette and the royal court. The most popular and important of those fictional editions is Lady Oscar, or Oscar Sama. Lady Oscar is a girl who was raised as a boy and is skilled in swordsmanship. Eventually, when the Dauphine is set to wed Marie Antoinette, Dauphine being the crown prince of France or the next in line for the throne, Oscar is called upon because of her noble background, because they're not going to let a commoner be head of the royal guard, and her fighting skill to head the royal guard, which will protect the royal family. Oscar's upbringing is super interesting that her father unilaterally decided that on the day of her birth that she was going to be raised as a boy. Uh, yeah, after she's born, her dad runs into the room and he's like, is it a boy? And then uh, the housekeeper's like, no, it's a beautiful girl. And her dad, he's a general, uh, he gets kind of despondent for a moment and then he decides, you know what? This is going to be my son, my son, Oscar. And because he already has like five other kids who are all girls. So he wants to have someone who can carry on the family business and the family name and bring honor to the family. Kind of like Mulan. Anyway, uh, 
so she's raised as a boy, which, as we can see through the course of the series, means a very different education than she would have gotten as the same as one of her sisters. Uh, she gets a decent education. She's literate. She can read and write. Uh, she, of course, learns how to fight. And Oscar is not taught the softer arts that a woman of noble birth was expected to be able to do, like needlework or play musical instruments or sing. She knows how to dance because everyone who's noble needs to know how to dance. Uh, but women, especially at the French royal courts, were expected to be an ornament of the court. Something to add glitz, glamour, and not challenge the status quo, which is what Oscar lives to do. And what's also super interesting is the fact that she is incredibly popular at the royal court. She, of course, is very beautiful, uh, and she's kind of drawn in a very androgynous sort of manner. So if you're comparing her to the other female characters, she looks much more masculine. But when you're comparing her to a group of male characters, she looks much more feminine. And because of this androgyny, she stands out at the court. She's very much an anomaly, and... The women all admire her and want to be with her, and the men also want to be with her and begrudgingly admire her talent. So the original storyline was supposed to follow along Marie Antoinette on her adventures and misadventures coming of age as the Dauphine in pre-revolutionary France, because there is a lot to unpack there. But the side character, Oscar, was incredibly popular. And Letty Keda shifting more towards Oscar's point of view and making her the main character. And so all of this was actually taken care of and done by the time we get to making the anime series. The manga came earlier. And, um, and that's one thing that I love, uh, find super interesting about Japanese manga culture. As you are serializing these manga in these different magazines, there are surveys that are done by the magazines uh, to figure out who people's favorite characters are. So that can actually kind of help shift the narrative. Uh, the results really can change how the story progresses as it goes along. Uh, it did with Sailor Moon. Uh, consistently, Mizuno Ami, or Sailor Mercury, was pulled as Japan's favorite character, which led to Sailor Mercury getting her own animated short later in the Super S series. In Ikeda's case, though, Oscar's popularity completely shifted how Antoinette's story was told. As much as she's still a main character, she's much more sidelined, and it becomes much more of Oscar observing what Marie Antoinette is doing and intervening here and there, but Marie Antoinette's not the main character anymore. Now, Oscar lives in interesting times and fights to be her own person within them. She initially struggles against becoming a member of Antoinette's royal guard because she didn't see any value in spending her time at the court babysitting a shrew of a girl. But then she meets Antoinette and realizes just how noble and good she is. Antoinette, for her part, is immediately drawn to Oscar and is thrilled with her as her chief of security. She actually didn't realize that Oscar was a girl to start off with and was completely shocked and pleased as punch when she finds out that she's a woman. Oscar's first struggle, I'm sorry, Antoinette's first struggle, aside from being nearly abducted and murdered, is in learning how to survive court life and to be the best well-groomed dog at the top of the pile. Antoinette refuses initially to speak to the king's mistress, Madame du Berry, because Madame du Berry is of less noble stock and she is, well, the king's mistress. As a young woman, Antoinette sees the world in black and white and she cannot abide by dishonesty and behavior that is less than virtuous. 
By speaking with DeBerry in public, that would give onlookers, and because all of this is super public, you basically get no privacy whatsoever at Versailles. If you are interested in learning a little bit about that, watch uh, the Kirsten Dunst Marie Antoinette movie from 2006. There's this fantastic scene where she is being dressed by the high-ranking ladies of the court and she has so many people who are there who are watching and depending on who's there different people get to do different things whatever is the closest to her body is the most honorable etc etc but she has to wait and be a part of this very elaborate ritual that establishes the feminine hierarchy in the royal courts and She's literally getting dressed by other people. There is no privacy whatsoever for her. Even when she's giving birth later on, the room is crowded, completely full of people that there's no actual fresh air for her. Um, and so it's in, so all of this is happening very much in the public, i.e. of the court's eye, not, you know, general... Uh, peasants or anybody else who are going to be coming in because they're not going to be coming into Versailles at the court. Uh, but so by speaking, though, with DeBerry in public, that would give onlookers the impression that she, the royal bonne dauphine, approved of or at least acknowledged DeBerry's place at court as maîtresse en titre. Maîtresse? No. Maîtresse? Uh, mistresse? I'm sorry, I don't do French. Je ne parle pas français. Uh, but that would acknowledge the fact that Marie Antoinette would see that she is, at the very least, a legitimate part of the court. So Antoinette did everything she could to not give Barry the time of day. DeBerry sees this as a snub, which it totally was, and complains to the king about her treatment. The king sees that Antoinette is, of course, just a good and honest person. She just needs to learn about how life at the French work court works because it's different than at the Austrian court. And because, honestly, there are a lot more mistresses at the French court. <laughs> uh, and the king gives her opportunities to speak to DeBerry, which don't work, as Antoinette, in addition to being honest and good, is also just freaking stubborn. And I love it. The king becomes more and more upset with Antoinette's refusal to acknowledge DeBerry because DeBerry is getting more and more upset about the fact that she's not being acknowledged in public by the now Dauphine, and wonders then what this will mean for the Austro-French alliance, because that's the whole thing, too, that is underlying this. While we see this from Marie Antoinette's eyes, and she is a young teenager who just got married off to a foreign land with a language that she's just learning that all these cultures and customs that she's just trying to figure out there's also this pressure coming down from on top the fact that on this marriage on her shoulders is an international inter-kingdom alliance between austria hungary and france which if it breaks down could lead to war and so not only does she have to be able to navigate just her daily life, she also has to do this under the realization that if she doesn't do a good enough job, there could be war. So DuBerry schemes to become more popular at court and invites Oscar's mom to be her lady-in-waiting. Antoinette also invites Oscar's mom to serve her, which of course is a greater honor as she's a future queen rather than a courtesan. Oscar at the last second saves both her mother and Antoinette 
because uh, by uncovering a fake attempted murder plot. Basically what happened was uh, because Oscar is so popular at court, whoever would get to have her mother as a lady-in-waiting would get to kind of ride along a little bit more in that popularity. And so DeBerry originally was like, I'm going to have Lady Oscar's mom be my lady-in-waiting so that people will like me more because people are really liking Marie Antoinette. And yeah, she's cute, she's sweet, she's adorable, but still, she's mean to me. Uh, so then... Uh, once Antoinette learns about that scheme, she, of course, then offers to have Oscar's mom as her lady-in-waiting, which would then bolster her popularity a little bit as well, because as much as she is sweet and good and pretty and popular, she's not as popular as she could be because she's not pregnant with the next heir. Uh, so, but DuBerry gets really frustrated and schemes underhandedly to implicate Marie Antoinette and Lady Oscar's mother in a murder plot that would have murdered her. DeBerry. Uh, so she had some poison that was sent in a chalice and it was supposed to be served by, uh, you know, supposed to be come from Marie Antoinette, but it was supposed to be served by Lady Oscar's mother to DeBerry, who would be like, oh no, there's poison in here. <laughs> she tried to kill me. And, uh, but Oscar, of course, figures this out at the last minute and is able to save uh, DeBerry and then by proxy, her mother and Marie Antoinette, from this attempted poisoning. So you can see why, while this is filled with yummy interpersonal drama, Oscar became more and more of the main character. She's a mover, a shaker, who can travel between dashing sword fights and court drama with ease, and to do her best just to be good all the while. Other historical events pop up in the show, uh, like the Affair of the Diamond Necklace, and of course the French Revolution, which we talked about last time. The Affair of the Diamond Necklace is one that aptly demonstrates Marie Antoinette's character as well as the deep systemic issues in France and how it functioned in the late 18th century. In the show, up until this point, Antoinette, after becoming queen, has another issue. Uh, she's fallen in love with Axel von Fersen, a count from Sweden. He falls for her too, and their relationship soon becomes one that's gossip fodder. Oscar asks him to leave because she's worried for Antoinette's reputation, and because of this, Antoinette falls into a deep depression. She begins to spend money left and right, and according to the show, this is the reason for a full-blown economic recession. You know, not lots of other things like war and bad harvests and things like that. Also, stupid tax laws. Uh... So, indulging in her love of shiny things and pretty dresses, Antoinette retreats into a fantasy land of balls, opera, and the theater, neglecting her duties as queen. She refuses audiences, which is when other people seek to talk to her about issues in their lives. Part of her job is to meet with the people, commoners and nobles alike, who sought her ear and assistance. And she wasn't emotionally up to the task. This worries Oscar, who entreats Antoinette to take the audiences because they're her link with the people. The more she does these, the more people love her, and the more she actually stays in touch with what's going on outside the glittering court of Versailles. And this is one of the first major points that Oscar has to show in her favor for the common people, and it works. Antoinette keeps her audiences. Oscar, upon Antoinette's ascension to the throne, is also promoted which with a huge salary bump. But sensing that she doesn't really need the extra money, and in a time of economic hardship, that taking a larger salary isn't the right thing to do, Oscar accepts the promotion, but turns down the salary, saying that the people need the money. She doesn't. There are many other people who attempt to cause scandal for Antoinette by bringing her down, but there's also a rising tide against the monarchy itself, led by Maximilien Robespierre. 
The queen is seen spending money at her gambling tables and buying extravagant clothing while her husband is sending help and money to the American revolutionaries. One of the generals, Axel von Fersen, as we talked about just a minute before, becomes Antoinette's lover. He ends up rescuing Andre, Oscar's childhood friend and eventual romantic partner from the revolutionary mobs. Things are not good in Paris, and it certainly wasn't good to be the king. Much like in the historical record, we see Louis call the estates general, uh, the third estate, make their own general assembly and swear the tennis court oath. While Oscar's personal feelings toward Antoinette do not change Oscar, once she sees how the people of France clamor for revolution, she resigns her post as head of Antoinette's guard to join the revolutionaries. Quote, the royal family should never point a gun at its people. End quote. Oscar tells Antoinette at their final meeting, tears streaming from her eyes. While she was loyal to Antoinette, her loyalty to France was greater, and they bid one another au revoir. Oscar spends the remaining episodes battling consumption, as well as the monarchist forces dying from her wounds in the storming of the Bastille. While this series does deviate from the historical record, I absolutely love it when it does, because a lot of the times, fiction can get to the emotional truth, or connect with audiences in a more concrete and engaging way than how history is normally conveyed. The fictional parts blend in well with the pre-revolutionary France of historical record and enhance the drama that actually happened. We get to see events from the introspective eyes of Oscar, a noble who becomes one of the third estate in her last days, instead of from the perspective of Marie Antoinette, who, until the revolution began, never really gave her responsibilities and duties, aside from childbearing, much thought. In the next episode, we'll do a little bit more of a more in-depth character analysis of both Marie Antoinette and Lady Oscar. Stay tuned for more history pop. The Rose of Versailles. I'm Courtney, and I've been your host. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's work on making the world better every day, and remember, Carthage must be destroyed. This has been written and performed by Courtney Herbert. Intro and outro music written and performed by Jonathan Colton and used under a Creative Commons license. This has been a Turtle and Rabbit production.